in this lesson, we begin our discussion in relation to public purpose trusts by discussing charitable trusts. Now, the whole notion or the concept behind a charitable trust is to actually break the requirement of certainty of objects. So in relation to any charitable trust, there need not be a subject matter. There need not be a particular beneficiary that has been outlined. Moreover, much like any other type of trust, it can also last forever. And on top of that, there are several fiscal benefits that are applicable to someone who has created ostensibly a charitable trust. Now note that there is a move to actually abolish this charitable trust instrument and to invoke what is known as a government grant. Uh, but as Penner, who is a leading academic in relation to trust law, has noted, it might be construed as being political in nature if that were to occur. Now, in order for us to understand this whole concept of charitable trust, which is indeed an interesting aspect of trust law as well, because it tends to break certain norms that we have learned thus far in relation to this subject. Firstly, there are several conditions that have to be applicable and that have to be in place in order for a trust to not only be considered charitable, but also be enforceable. Firstly, the purpose must be beneficial. On the face of it, prima facie, it must be noted that the benefit within this purported trust instrument is what is first looked at. Secondly, it must benefit a particular section of public. It need not be everyone, but it needs to identify. While there are no certainty of objects, it still needs to identify a certain section or a class of the public. Thirdly, the character of the purpose must be charitable. It can't be something which is in the mind's eye of the person who's creating it as charitable. It has to be objectively considered charitable. Fourthly, it must not distribute profit. And fifth, it must not be political. Unlike most other um, parts of trust law, which in turn are governed either by uh, the Wills Act or the Law of Property Act, this in turn is governed by the Charities Act of 2011 and now beyond that it has come to 2013 as well. Now firstly, in order to identify something as being charitable in nature, we need to firstly consider the preamble in the Charitable Uses Act of 1601, which has been eloquently put by Lord McNaughton in Income Tax and Pencil. This is a seminal case in relation to the outlining and definition of charitable trust, which I urge you to have a look at and is available in your case summaries. This outline, which has been noted by Lord McNaughton, has actually been incorporated into the Charities Act as well. So, in doing so, we must identify either firstly, the trust is for the relief of poverty, two, it's for the advancement of education, three, it's for the advancement of religion, or four, it's for other purposes which are beneficial to the community at large. Now note that it has been suggested that tax relief should be provided to charities as well because what they're doing would have to otherwise be borne by state regardless. So let's have a look at each individual consideration as in the relief of poverty, advancement of education, advancement of religion and the purposes which are beneficial to the community one at a time. Firstly, in relation to the relief of poverty, it's a trust for those who would otherwise have to go short. So note here 
that the charity itself, as we noted earlier, can be limited, but firstly, must not name individuals. It must be for a class of people, not particular individuals. And secondly, it must be for the poor. It has to be specifically outlined that the people who this tr trust is meant for are in fact going to go short if this was not in place. So for example, in Ray Gordon, you had ladies of limited means. In Dingle and Turner, you had poor employees. It has been specifically mentioned as well. And in Ray Sarisbrick, you had poor relations. Next, we'll have a look at advancement of education. So trust for conventional education is charitable. So for example, museums, as in British Museum Trustees and White, or extending to the artistic education, as in Royal Choral Societies and IRC. Even for that matter, sports, as in Ray Marriott, have been considered as the advancement of education and have been held valid. However, this does not apply to political purposes which are masquerading themselves as education or research. If I may hark back to the very first uh, thing that we discussed in relation to public purposes, as noted by Penner as well as a concern, there is a move to abolish these charitable trusts and to invoke this government grant. The purpose why it's not happening as well is because of this whole apolitical nature of it as well. So for example, a student union political campaigns is not considered charitable, but political clubs in schools are. Now, this is a good example if you are attempting an examination question to actually pinpoint and show the difference because there is a fine line in some context, but here the distinction is quite clear. Next is advancement of religion. Now, the interesting fact about this is pre-2006, since there was another Charities Act back in 2006 as well, pre-2006, religion to be considered as a religion and therefore for the trust, for the charitable trust to be applicable, required a god, an ostensible, omnipresent, singular being. But following the 2006 Act, there is no such requirement. Have a look at Ray South Place Ethical Society where it was noted by their lordships that religion concerned with man's relationship with God and morality is man's relationship with man. Now, the other purposes, as outlined earlier by Lord McNaughton in the case of Pemsel, refers often to this preamble of 1601, the Act of 1601. What this necessarily means is we need to have a look at different situations which do not fall within the ambit of the previous three instances that we discussed. So, for example, in AGN National Provincial, it was noted that a trust must be beneficial to the public and charitable in nature. So these are certain stop gaps that, that have been put in place in relation to charitable trust so as to make sure that there is fairness that happens across the board regardless of whether it falls into one of these categories. So for example, inexpensive sanitary disposal of dead as per Scottish burial reform in Glasgow or the access to free internet was considered charitable as in Vancouver Regional and Minister of National Revenue. But this whole access to the free internet, I must note, uh, was actually a strained interpretation in relation to this case because what they actually took into consideration was the access to the information superhighway and connoting or connecting that to the concept of bridges and ports. Quite an interesting interpretation as well, but to each his own. Before we round out uh, the charitable purposes or the public purpose trust component of this lesson, we need to understand 
the public benefit requirement because this is something that is systemic and it goes into the heart of public purpose and charitable trust. So what the public benefit, while there is no definitive definition outlined in pretty much any case out there because each individual case looks at it differently based on the facts presented to court, in relation to this particular context, when you think about public benefit, what we must note is firstly, the trust must be beneficial and not detrimental and secondly, must be for the benefit of the public and not private individuals. So harking back to the previous uh, point that I noted, it can't be for individuals, but it has to be for a class of people. Have a look at independent schools and charity commission for a better understanding of this. Before we round out, finally, we need to briefly touch on the sea prey doctrine. Now, for all intents and purposes, the settler will have quite a righteous and a noble sentiment and a thought in creating a charitable trust. But there are occasions in which a charitable purpose might fail for want of methodology or because it being impractical. So if a valid charitable purpose fails because the settler had chosen a means in which it is impractical or impossible to effect or to execute, the court will apply what is known as the sea prey doctrine in order to apply that particular trust for a different purpose. This has been outlined quite primarily within the Act itself, within Section 6 of the Charities Act of 2011. But in order to invoke the Sea Prey Doctrine, there are several requirements. There are two requirements specifically. Firstly, it must be a valid charitable trust, so it has to fulfill one of the four criteria or the categories outlined uh, in PEMSL. And two, the trust must have truly failed. There must have been no way to recover the trust either. That was a quick introduction and an outline of public purpose trust with specific focus on charitable trust. In the next lesson, we will have a look at the converse of this, which are public purpose trusts or non-charitable trusts.